Welcome back to our 15 on the 15th, our bite-sized book club series featuring podcasts designed to help you digest short articles. No more than 15 minutes of reading required, we promise. This 15-minute recipe for success is a pinch of insightful reading and a dash of engaging discussion that blends together research and classroom practice. My name is Katie LaShawn, and I am the director of the English as a New Language program here at the University of Notre Dame. I'm joined today by Claire Roach and Jenny Dees. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Hello. Uh, Both of these ladies are program coordinators here at the English as a New Language program. Our topic today stems from a conversation that we had two weeks ago regarding talking about the solar eclipse with our English language learners. Okay, Katie, I think we need to be honest and confess to being language geeks, which we all know that we are. Uh, The three of us started listing tiered vocabulary related to the eclipse, and we couldn't stop. Tier one word, sun, moon, sky. Uh, Tier two words, eclipse, rotation, observe, contact. Am I forgetting anything, ladies? Um, And then, of course, where we got really excited was those tier three words. Um, Obscuring, celestial, illumination, totality, point of contact, lunar. I'll stop there. Um, So I guess you could say that the eclipse inspired us to dive into the topic of science with English language learners. And so that's why we chose the article that we did for this month. Um, As you might remember, the article will be attached to the podcast, so you can link to it there. In this article, the authors described a series of professional development workshops, as well as a science curriculum that they designed specifically to help support English language learners in the area of science. We loved that this article looked at everyday classroom units and gave strategies to help teachers improve the instruction in their classrooms. What I really love about this article is the fact that the authors who are experts in science partnered with an ESL expert to really develop a science curriculum Mm -hmm. designed to meet the needs of an English language learner. And I feel like I say this in every podcast that this is my favorite article, but I really loved this article in particular because what they described were real everyday classrooms. They were honest about the tensions that we experience as teachers. And I feel like they laid a path forward that made sense to me as an educator and as a classroom teacher. Um, And so I really want to invite all of our listeners today to take a minute to read this article. You won't regret it. Absolutely. What I think was beautiful about it is they kind of infused these units with ESL strategies in four distinct ways. The first one is they really um, sought to implement specific strategies for language development, which we know you've heard us talk about, and we'll touch upon that today. They fostered literacy development within the context of science. A lot of times we like to put our content areas kind of on a shelf and think that, you know, that's a place for knowledge and not necessarily a place for language development, but it is. And we're always encouraging teachers to teach not only content, but language at the same time. And I loved that it actually showed how you do that. The third thing I think they did beautifully was they created connections to home language. They not only encourage the students to use their home language in the classroom, but they use the home language as a source of strength for these students. And finally, they leverage students' home and community experiences, which we often refer to as funds of knowledge, but we know to be an invaluable part of who a student is and part of the gifts that they bring. Jenny, what did you find to be particularly interesting about this article? I really appreciated what Claire alluded to earlier, the honesty. 
these authors were not shy about addressing the challenges that teaching this special population of students has. But they also were so hopeful in saying, okay, these are the challenges, but here are some strategies that we know through research to be highly effective. And so I found it very empowering. So the honesty and the empowerment that was embedded in the article really struck me. So Jenny, I know that your particular area of interest is reading. What were your thoughts about how they encouraged reading development amongst English learners in science. Oh my goodness, they presented so many wonderful ideas. I limited myself as I was reflecting to like four, maybe five. I've got to give myself some wiggle room. But the first one was the vocabulary instruction. Mm-hmm. I love the use of their native language, but also the art- the authors were really clear that students needed multiple exposures to words, which took me back to our article that Katie wrote on the seven S's. Mm-hmm. So for example, when students hear the word lunar, They need to understand it when it's presented to them orally. They also need to be able to say it correctly and use it in conversation. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to read and understand the word in the context of a textbook or a trade book, and they have to use it in writing. And in order for them to do those four things successfully, we have to give them multiple encounters in various ways with that word throughout the unit. And I think it can be so tricky as a teacher because we introduce words, but then we don't continue to cycle them through what we read and what we hear in the classroom. And that multiple exposure point, um, I think, is so important. Well, and you talked about, too, kind of the writing component. In order to know how to write a word, a lot of times this comes down to spelling, which Mm -hmm. is very much rooted in phonics. And in this particular example, lunar, how can we talk about maybe what the root word is or where they're going to see other variations of this word. Um, You know, to bridge just a little bit, I really loved kind of the linguistic aspects of this, um, which we know is usually kind of my bend here. Uh, But I want to hear more about reading before I jump in and and talk about linguistics. Well, I'll keep my points kind of brief because I do, I think the linguistics are really important, Katie. Um, But I also, jumping back to reading, the integration of trade books and other resources along with just a science science textbook is crucial. We need to think about how we can bring in trade books and maybe newspaper articles, other genres like poetry or even biographies Mm -hmm. into our science curriculum. Um, This allows us to have more information at various levels so that we can do what the article called adjust the language load. We can give students reading material that's appropriate. Maybe the vocabulary is simpler or the sentence structures are, are varied in different ways to better meet the child, or excuse me, to better match the child's Mm -hmm. language abilities, because we need to be be sure that we're giving them texts that are appropriate for their level. Absolutely. Two comments on that, Jenny. Number one, um, a great website that I use use a lot, it used to be called Bird Brain Science, and now they just moved over to Rocket Lit, R-O-C-K-E-T-L-I-T. They have a great variety of science content based on language proficiency levels and lexile levels. So that's a great resource. Number two, can you just expound a little bit upon what is a trade book? Oh, sorry. I should clarify that. A trade book is just a picture book. So what you might find if you're doing a study on the solar eclipse, you can use your textbook for sure, and you'd pull some newspaper articles that might be relevant, but then your trade books would be the picture books you'd find at the library. Mm-hmm. And call your librarian, ask them to help you pull some of those books. They can be fiction or nonfiction, um, pull in some multicultural texts if you can, and yeah. Thanks for asking for that But what a great thing to send home at times. What a great thing to set up as centers. What a great thing mm-hmm. to have your student accessing these books in, in actual reading time, not just in 
science. And I'm constantly on the lookout. I particularly love magazine articles because of all the visuals that are embedded into these articles. So my, I'm always scouting for the time for kids, for the scholastic magazines that treat any of these subjects in science and making sure that I file that away so I have it handy when I teach those units. Absolutely, all brilliant ideas. Um, and just a couple more things. As they're reading these articles and working through these texts, make sure you're providing your students with graphic organizers. This article mentions several Venn diagrams um, and other making sure charts and images and graphs were included but we have to provide our children with some sort of mental scaffolding as they're unpacking these texts. So graphic organizers are essential. Which are good for all students, but particularly for our English language learners, giving them a visual place to certainly organize their content and their language. So a good way to supplement these for some of your English language learners is a word bank. Our images, can they complete the graphic organizer by drawing pictures? How can we make sure that they can categorize the content correctly, but also how can we support their kind of linguistic load in this process? And then lastly, and I promise we'll turn it over to linguistics then, making sure that we are explicit about our instruction of expository texts. And what I mean by that is teaching your students how to use their textbook. We need to stop and acknowledge that this textbook is full of resources that can help them learn. We need to teach them about the index and the glossary, what they are and how to use them. We need to have students do a chapter walk and look at the headings of what they're going to be reading. We need to talk about what a boldface word is and why they were bolded. And of course, remembering to move beyond those in our vocabulary Mm -hmm. instruction, but helping children to understand why they're why they're um, singled out within a text, helping students to look at the images within a text. They need to know how to interact with this textbook, this expository text, in a really purposeful way. Absolutely. And it's so easily overlooked. Absolutely. No, I think that the curriculum set up within this particular article, again, really, they were very intentional about accounting for these literacy practices. So reading, writing, but really they... They took the lens of an English language learner to understand where do we even start at the word level? Where do we start at kind of this linguistic piece? So that's getting me excited because I want to talk about writing. But before I do, I want to acknowledge something for our readers, which is that your dissertation was all about teaching science to English learners. So we actually really have some expertise in the room with us today. And I'm I'm hoping, Katie, that you might shed some light um, on some things that really stuck out to you based on your research. Absolutely. And no one needs to revisit this dissertation at any point (laughs) in time. Um, But like I said before, I think what they did beautifully was accounting for the home language first and foremost. When giving vocabulary, they tried to give the vocabulary or they did give the vocabulary words in both Spanish and in Haitian Creole, which acknowledges the fact that there's a cross-linguistic transfer between the language Mm -hmm. the children are speaking at home and what they're learning in the classroom. Also, what a beautiful bridge to be able to go home and to communicate to your families that you're learning about the solar eclipse, but that you know some of these words in your first language. And in the world of Google Translate, this is so much easier than it was even a decade ago. I mean, I always say you need to be a little bit careful, especially when you're starting to translate sentences, but usually word-to-word translation is pretty spot on. Um, So I definitely encourage people to utilize Google Translate. It's at your fingertips. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's not something to kind of shy away from. Again, it's not 100%, but it's in with Haitian Creole, for example, it's far more 
than I know. And so at least it's a start. Um, and to teach your children to be good consumers and critical consumers of right. technology anyways. The child might say, that is not at all how I would say that, which shows that they can think critically about how language is presented to them. The second thing I think they did beautifully was to count for different language levels when teaching vocabulary. And just that when we offer a definition, a lot of times when we offer a definition in science, the definition is completely full of additional vocabulary. So sometimes our children can't understand a vocabulary word because all we're presenting first and foremost is just the definition in the book, um, which is, you know, there's kind of a pitfall, pitfall in that too. But also what is trapping about that is the fact that the words in the definition are tier three words in the first place. So they're hard to understand. So accounting for the language levels. The other thing they did was they front loaded vocabulary, which yes. just means they taught vocabulary at the beginning. And you've heard us say this before, but we can't wait to the end of the lesson to review the vocabulary or teach the vocabulary. Your English language learners need to know the words from the onset to make the lesson comprehensible. Um, and the fourth thing they did, with, which I just thought was absolutely beautiful, was they which you've heard us again talk about before, explicit instruction of vocabulary. We cannot just assume, assume that one-time exposure right. translates to understanding. What they called was they promoted precision of vocabulary. They promoted precision, which we know science needs more than particularly some other subjects. Science terms are precise, and they describe often precise events. Um, what I think they did beautifully with language is they focused on a couple things. Number one, they focused on prepos prepositional words, um, above, below, inside, outside. They really were intentional about making sure that their English language learners understood and used those words correctly. I thought that was really helpful as a teacher. How many times do I ask my kids to describe what's happening in a science experiment or to explain a process that's going on in a science classroom? But I had never taken that step back to think, gosh, did we really spend time unpacking prepositions? Mm -hmm. So that, that gave me pause, and I really appreciated that. Absolutely. They even talked about what they consider comparative terms, cold, colder, coldest, and affixes, increase, inflate, as opposed to decrease, deflate. What this equates to is really strong word-level knowledge, which, which without strong word-level knowledge and precise language, how can we expect students to move to the discourse level of writing a report describing something, explaining something, comparing something, um, which I know Claire is passionate about as well. You know, I think um, one of the really effective things about this particular article is it helped me as an educator notice the language structures. And I think for so many of our teachers out in the field, this is one of the biggest challenges, which is noticing something that we use all the time that we don't really think about anymore, which is our English, right? To be able to, to look at what we're already teaching, and these units were regular, everyday, third, fourth, and fifth grade science units, and to be able to notice the language structures in there so that ultimately we can help our students acquire them, notice them too, and acquire them. Claire, did anything else stick out to you about the discourse? I know that you're kind of our expert here on writing. What else sticks out to you about writing in science? Well, the first thing, um, which I really appreciated, was this emphasis on writing a lot. Right? So one of the problems that we notice is that um, it's easy to avoid writing with our English learners because it's complex, right? But one of the things we know is that the more kids write, the better they get at writing. So um, there were ample opportunities in these units to give children 
the opportunity to write in varied functions. So um, describing things, explaining things, reporting, drawing conclusions, etc. But also opportunities to quickly write. Um, so for example, um, you know, a quick write might be, I noticed that. Or what did you observe? Those are really good sentence frames, though. Claire. Exactly. Like, so you're getting you're jumping we, ahead. No, go please. That's right, because you you're reading my mind, Katie. Because um, I think another thing that was effective about the article is um, giving kids opportunities to use the writing process, which we tend to associate only with language arts class. But what might that look like in science? Well, you know, first, giving students the opportunity to think. Right. So that might be in science, observing and noticing something that's happening, a pattern. Um, and of course, we can give kids students, uh, students the opportunity to think quietly to themselves, but also to think out loud with someone near them. OK, so the first step is giving students the opportunity to think about what it is that they're noticing in science. Um, and then because of this focus on vocabulary, giving students the opportunity to what I call chart vocabulary, or sometimes I'll refer to it as a vocabulary splash. Um, and I say chart because I want teachers to think about ways in which they can use graphic organizers to help students really flesh out the vocabulary that they're using. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to write when you've got a bunch of vocabulary oh, handy to be able to use, right? So I want to give everybody an example. Um, Think of the games categories that you might have played as a child, right? How can we help students categorize words? Because, of course, that is a higher level um, thinking skill. So what might this look like? Um, okay. Friends, I want everybody to write down all the words that you associate with planets. Or let's list planets, okay? So um, then you can, you can add to that by saying... What are the words that can describe or that we use to describe the movement of planets? We can even be specific and say, what are verbs that we use to describe the moon, uh, movement of planets? So you might, they might come up with spin, rotate, orbit, gravity, or system, right? And then what kinds of words um, might we use to describe planets? So we're getting at adjectives and potentially adverbs here, right? Big, far away, hot gaseous. Don't ask me to spell gaseous, by the way. Um, again, these kinds of opportunities to really pull out, to go fishing for their vocabulary and allow them to produce it can be done individually, but they can also be done through engaging in small groups. Um, okay, so giving students the ability to think before they write, to chart or flesh out vocabulary, but obviously the goal is to help our students actually communicate messages. So what do we do to help them support that? Well, the first thing that I want teachers to not overlook, especially teachers that get up the grade level, up uh, into middle and high school, is how we use sentence framing. Um, so we're helping students begin to work out the process of um, communicating using sentence level language. Um, so I just want to throw out some examples of what these sentence frames might look like in science and Katie and Jenny I hope you can help me out here so um, a simple one might be I noticed that right so you're using past tense here by the way mm -hmm. right so I noticed that so you're helping students start their sentence and they conclude it with their thoughts Jenny what are you thinking um the first one that struck me was if then statements right which sometimes students can struggle with so if you give them a context 
if the earth, sun, and moon align, then, and then students would be able to complete that sentence with their content knowledge. It makes me think about how much in science we use causal relationships. Mm -hmm. Because of this, this cause. So um, an example might be the force of gravity causes objects to. So how can we embed vocabulary, Mm -hmm. um, but how can we give them kind of the sentence structure to be able to communicate well, especially in writing? Mm -hmm. And Katie, could we add to the end of that? The force of gravity causes objects to blank. And then adding a because Mm -hmm. and having them extend that knowledge even further. Perfect. So you are literally modeling how to communicate these messages in the form of sentences. So giving students a chance to think, giving students a chance to flesh out vocabulary, helping students understand how to communicate these messages at the the sentence level. And then finally, um, giving students the process to edit or really notice other linguistic um, forms. So, for example, using model texts or model writing samples and asking students what they noticed about what it is that maybe you or a peer wrote, um, transition words, punctuation, etc. rich language to describe things. Um, but then also inviting the students to take an opportunity to sit down and notice things in what it is that they wrote. So obviously this is the editing stage of the writing process. Um, but I like to think of it, especially with English learners, as giving them the opportunity to really notice language. Um, and I think as teachers, we get better at this the more we practice it ourselves. Absolutely. And we just know for English language learners, a lot of times if we can give them an exemplar to copy, you know, we don't love to use the word copy in education, mm-hmm. but truly so much can be learned if you can see something solid replicated a couple times until you get comfortable understanding the sentence structure and knowing how to use the words correctly yourself. We have discussed many important things today um, in my mind, but for the sake of wrap up, I just want to ask ladies, as you head back into the classroom this week, what is kind of your one takeaway from this article and the structure that they put in place? There's a lot of language going on in the discipline of science And that if we're smart as teachers, we can really help develop the use of this amongst our English learners and obviously all the children in our classroom. I would have to say between the article and hearing Claire's conversation about writing, I want to be much more deliberate about the writing that occurs in the classroom, particularly the pre-writing strategies where I'm introducing vocabulary and the sentence structures to my students so that they they can really produce products that reflect all of their knowledge. Have a wonderful week of teaching, ladies. If you out there are passionate about ensuring that your culturally and linguistically diverse children thrive in our Catholic schools, we invite you to learn more about our ENL program on our website, enl.nd.edu. On our website, you may learn more about our licensure preparation program, professional development opportunities, both online and at your school, as well as resources, including our podcast, our articles, and our webinars. Also, be sure to check out our new series of online professional development modules. And as always, if you enjoyed this month's conversation, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and share it with a friend. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a review for us on iTunes and let us know what topics you'd like for us to cover in future podcasts. Many continued blessings on your